Himalaya. You're listening to Girl with Self-Esteem Issues, a Himalaya learning podcast to access my own your shit handbook filled with key insights and exercises and to join a community where you can chat directly with me. Go to Himalaya.com forward slash Rosie and enter promo code Rosie at checkout for your first 14 days. Absolutely free. I hope to see you there. I'm Rosie Mercado, and this is the Girl with Self-Esteem Issues, a podcast where we talk about the beauty of life, the lessons life gives us, and today's guest is best-selling author, a spiritual leader, someone that I look up to, an incredible teacher. Welcome to the podcast, Panash Desai. Panash, welcome. It's truly an honor to have you here. How are you? I'm great. Thank you, sweetheart. It's an honor to be with you, too. Just sending you so much love. Oh my gosh, sending love to you and your family in these crazy times. But before we get started, we like to do the quote of the day. And the quote comes from Lao Tzu. And it goes like this. Life is a series of natural and spontaneous changes. Don't resist them. That only creates sorrow. Let reality be reality. Let things flow naturally forward in whatever way they'd like. Panash, what do you think about our quote of the day? We are basically floating down a stream on a rainbow-colored crocodile enjoying the scenery. As long as we remember that we're just simply enjoying the scenery, we're not suffering. But if we decide to hold on to a particular view or have a particular opinion about what's going on or a preference, then we form an attachment. And all attachment is the beginning of suffering. Oh, oh my God. Can I, can I just say how soothing your voice sounds when you speak? It just kind of like, it kind of like, okay, teacher, speak. I'm listening. I'm ready to learn. That's what, that's what your voice does to me. It just, I'm ready to learn. Where did you learn that? I learned how to be of service and I had it modeled to me by my grandmother. Oh, uh, my grandmother was my primary influence. She was the embodiment of service. And uh, she's the kind of lady who would get up at any time in the middle of the night to feed people and to love people. And so service and using our life as a platform for service came from her. And of course, I had a childhood that was immersed in spirituality. So naturally, my service comes in the form of spirituality. Wow. But it's not always easy finding, even though you're immersed in spirituality, it's not easy always finding that calling or accepting that calling. You've written so many, you've written your books and you have this wonderful, not only voice, but like the sense of peace about you and love. When did you find out that your calling was really to help others? And when did you accept it? Because one thing is to know your calling, but another thing is to, okay, I accept that I surrender. So my whole life, I'd been told that I was here to do something and I was fundamentally running away from that uh, on every level. And really? One night, yeah, absolutely. On absolutely. every level, like literally, you were just, it's just kind of like- 100%. I was like, no, I'm out of it. Like, I'm not going to do anything spiritual. I'm out of it. I'm going to do something in music, have a whole career in underground music for a while. But spirituality, I'd moved away from it. It was still at the core of who I was and they still had a love for it, but it wasn't the natural day to day after a while. And then I got to a place where I realized that I had to get back to that spirituality of my youth. And for me, the skepticism and the doubt went away when I had a direct experience of the divine. So as I experienced the divine, I experienced it as this infinite ocean of energy with no beginning and no end. And it was just pure love, Rosie, this feeling of pure love. And in that experience, I was shown that this is who we all really are. And in that moment, I answered the calling completely and totally. How did you, like, first of all, how did that experience come upon you? How did you know you were living that experience? I mean, you have to be present to understand that. And so many people run through life. They're not present. It's just go, go, go. 
how did you know that you were experienced like this? Th- there's no question. This is the divine. I'm feeling it like this is, and, and it's something that changed your life. How do you know when those moments come? So I think we go through life pretending to be every, everything other than ourselves. And we know what that feels like. That feels painful. It feels um, scary. We're living in suffering. We're living in this inadequacy. And then we have all of these ways of coping and adapting to that pain. And then we know when we're living in harmony because that feels loving. It feels peaceful. It feels uh, there's a calmness present because we realize that we're not missing out on anything and that we're connected to something greater than ourselves. And so I had had this very profound kind of spiritual framework for my whole life uh, and had had experiences before. And so when I had this experience, literally I went through the process of dying unto who I thought I was, allowing everything that I thought I needed to become to fall away, all of the thoughts, all of the ideas, the beliefs, all of these constructs that we identify with. Mm -hmm. And all that was left was this pure love. And the reason why this experience came into being in the first place was because I just kind of called out God one day and said, listen, if you're real, you need to show me who or what you are, because unless I've experienced who or what you are, I'm not going to tell people that this is who they are and this is what resides within them. And so for me, that direct revelation was necessary. And when you have an experience like that, uh, there's no mistaking that you're having the experience. It is the most overwhelming all-consuming love you have ever felt in your life beyond any notion of romantic love. And what I was shown very clearly is that we have all of this inside of us, that this is really who we are, and that we've just forgotten, we've just moved away from our authentic self, our essential nature, and that this moment in human history is about returning to that and remembering that this is who we are. So we're all spiritual. It's not something special. It's just natural to us. We can all have these experiences. They're not, you know, uh, something to be uh, longed for or chased. They're just available to us all the time. It's just that we're constantly living in this illusion of needing to be somebody other than ourselves because we've been conditioned to believe that we're not enough. And there's a lot of people that are living in an unhappy place and I guess they haven't acknowledged it. And sometimes I over said it best, like life throws a pebble, then a stone than a brick and then everything comes tumbling down to kind of get your attention. Like God finds a way to get your attention. And you say like these moments that I know there's a point in your life that you get to this place where you start longing for that. it's kind of like, you feel kind of lost. And, and cause I even went through that. You go through these moments and you're living something and you're running away from your purpose or whatever you want to call it. You're running away in search of, and sometimes you don't even know what you're in search of. And then you come to this complete halt where you just, you're pushed either to surrender if you don't do it on your own. You're pushed to surrender and you're, you're wanting this experience. How does someone call that? What do, you, what do you call that? Like when you're longing for that and how do you invite that experience to happen? How do you surrender just like that? I think the first thing to recognize is that you're living a lie uh, and that it doesn't feel good. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first thing you have to reconcile is who you've become. And That's who we've become is, is all of these different layers that we've kind of piled onto this love that we are in order to survive and fit in and belong in a world that doesn't make any sense. And typically that happens because of some loss of innocence or some trauma that you've experienced. It can also happen through your needs not being met, some rejection, some abandonment. And so in that moment, all of a sudden we decide that the world isn't a safe place. And then we go on this crusade uh, to prove that we have value, that we have worth, and we you know, we'll begin to engage in sports or activities or begin to accentuate certain qualities that we have to gain attention from the world because that's the best that we can do because we've forgotten that love resides within us. After a while, 
once we've exhausted most of those potentials and possibilities and we're still miserable, the only thing that's left is to turn within because we've literally chased every carrot that's been dangled in front of us. We've looked for approval from everyone outside of us. We've been in every relationship dynamic imaginable. And yet the love that we're longing for remains ever elusive because it was never outside of us in the first place. And so eventually you get the two by four, you get the crisis, some kind of wake up call. And when that calling comes, when you answer it, it typically leads to an experience of revelation like this. There's a moment where everything fundamentally shifts and you're shown mm. that everything that you were living was an absolute lie. That actually you being you is the answer, that you being who you are is enough. And the more you operate from that place of peace and calm, the more you are exercising and demonstrating your superpower. So it comes, for people, it comes to people in different ways, but ultimately it's always as a result of the same thing. The illusion and the pain of the illusion, the pain of living the lie becomes so unsustainable, Rosie, that eventually you have mm -hmm. no choice but to go within. And that crack is the entry point that the light and grace needs to reveal the divinity that lives within you. I could, I could hear you speak all day, the divinity. I love, you know, you had a breaking moment. You had this moment that you've talked about before. And you talked about how there was a specific night at a club when you decided that you needed to make a change in your life. Can you mm -hmm. tell me a little bit more about that night and what you learned from it? So I was very involved in uh, music and music in a lot of ways saved my life. I had a very hard time in high school. It didn't fit in, didn't belong. Wasn't really violent. I was living in a jungle. I wasn't really a violent kid. And uh, as a result, got bullied and picked on and people were trying to test me and whatever. And, and I was having a hard time. And one day in London, I turned on the radio and uh, in the UK, you have the FM dial and you have the two polar ends of the FM dial. And this is where all the pirate radio stations reside. And this is where all the cool music is. So one day tuned into this music that was coming through this radio. And I'm like, wow, that's amazing. And it was drum and bass and jungle at the time, which was a kind of an underground music scene that we'd created. Uh, London streets had made this music. And so more and more I started to get involved in, in just my love for this music and eventually began to write rhymes and perform at raves and was on a pirate radio station. We'd literally go into the projects and put the DJ uh, decks and the turntables and the records in one building. <laughs> we put the antenna somewhere else in case we got raided. So nobody got arrested because nobody, oh my wanted, God. To lose, yeah, nobody wanted to lose their records. And, uh, and at that time when we were playing out and we we're doing all these raves, London increasingly, you're a bad boy. <laughs> oh, yeah. London increasingly was becoming more and more violent, right? Because as the drugs were changing, people's moods were changing. It was becoming more and more violent. So all of the best music was happening in the underground clubs. So one night we end up in Brixton, uh, it's in South London, uh, before we get there, there'd been a shooting and we didn't know. We get there, all of a sudden, there's another altercation that happens with a friend of mine and the guns come out. And in that moment, the Metropolitan Police had their own crime unit that they'd assembled, uh, especially for London's Most Wanted. They surrounded the club. They wouldn't come in because they didn't want to have a shootout, but they waited outside and they ushered everybody out one by one. And in that moment, it was a series of events. Like I had an altercation just hours before I didn't want to go home because I was embarrassed. So I went out again. So basically it was just getting louder and louder and louder. And I didn't want the two by four version of that lesson. Like I realized that continuing to get involved in music, continuing to stay involved in that lifestyle was going to mean I was going to get hurt in a very severe way or someone around me was going to get hurt. And it wasn't for me. I came home, I sat down with my mom and I just had a very real and honest conversation because I was also studying a degree at the time that I didn't resonate with at all. And I said, listen, I'm living a lie. I'm miserable. 
none of this feels good to me. I've got to get back to my spirituality. I've got to get back to how I felt when I was with grandma. And my mum let me go. So I went to like a monk for six months. And uh, so really? I went from this world of East London music, underground music scene. That's a huge to living change, like a monk for six months. Yeah, because, because you know what, Rosie? It's like that feeling that I had in that meditation room when I was a kid was the most real thing to me. Like that feeling of that love and that devotion was the most real thing to me in my life. And it's like I had to get back to something real. And so I went to this meditation retreat center where this spiritual teacher who blessed me in the womb had, had lived and spent his life, he'd subsequently transitioned, but he had a room there. And I would go into that room every day. He had a chair and his sandals and peacock feathers, and I would sit there and I'd meditate and just get in touch with that energy again. And in the presence of that safety, of that meditation room, my evolution, my development, and my return to authenticity was accelerated because I realized that we cannot evolve and we can't become who we are unless we feel safe. Hmm. Wow. So you needed to get to a place where you felt safe and then you had to go back from this crazy, loud, distracting lifestyle to go back to the teachings that basically your grandmother taught you, right? And you were raised with already. You go back to that. You start meditating. How easy was it for you or how hard was it for you to go back into that lifestyle knowing that you had lived all this craziness? And I know that you had hit rock bottom because you weren't happy, but even going back into the unknown, I mean, what was that change like? It's horrible. I was lousy. I was lousy at it because, because you can't talk, nothing, right? It's like, it's like you're in this complete monastic lifestyle, binge eating tofu, you know, beans, rice, whatever, right? Like completely vegetarian. You don't talk, nothing. All you do is meditate all day long. You do selfless service, clean the toilets, work with whatever. Like you're greeting people. And it was a complete like 180, but it was a return to the peace that I knew as a child back to me again, right? Like it was, a, and also the music thing was great because the music experience that I had, like I was performing on stage as only Indian kid performing at raves in front of thousands of people in London, right? So now speaking at a conference is like no big deal. It's like whatever, right? So, so every experience that we've had is useful. You know, like, like pirate radio is what I'm doing now every morning on my call to come. Like literally I've got like 11,000 people every morning from all over the world meditating with me. And it's like, you know, COVID calm radio. Like we're just giving shout outs and loving on people and delivering a message and then doing a meditation. And so everything comes back full circle. Nothing's wasted. Like everything is serving us. Everything is facilitating our evolution. And so at first it was horrible. I'm a lousy yogi. Like people are looking at me, expecting me to figure out how to meditate. And I'm like, I'm snoring. It's horrible. It was cold. Didn't like it. Had to walk from one building to the next building if you missed the shuttle. But you know what? I stuck with it. And I had to stick with it because I realized that this was about more than my preferences, my choices, my wants. This was about what I needed. And what I needed was to get back to that safety and that mm. love and that devotion that was everything to me as a kid. So you talk about going from loud to quiet. You take the ego out of it. You come to this place where you have to look inward you have to face your inner demons. You have to go to this place where you meditate, where you serve. Very humbling, big change. Biggest lesson in transformation for you. Where did that push you next? I mean, because every, every, every moment there's like you're being directed to your purpose when you're, you know, when you're trying to find yourself. It redirects you to this place. Now what? What was next for you? You six months as a monk. I mean, that's, 
that's a lot of time. And you're going from one crazy lifestyle to a very humbling lifestyle of service and meditation. And I mean, even the way that you're eating is completely different. The people that you're hanging around with is complete. It's a complete different energy. So that has to be a shock in itself. What happens next? So I began to get in touch with all of these abilities and gifts that I'd had as a child that I was afraid of. Like I would know things about people. I could feel things in them. I, I would just sit with them and their lives would begin to transform. They'd tell me their whole life story and all of a sudden they'd be unburdened and they'd become sparkly. That's how I would describe it as a kid. And so all of a sudden all this stuff starts coming back in this ashram. But the problem is I'm not the guru. They had a guru there. They had a spiritual teacher there. And people are having these experiences with me that you're only meant to have with the guru. And so it was a very confusing time for me, right? Because here I am, this young kid, right? Four generations deep into this particular spiritual path. But nonetheless, like, I didn't want to, I wasn't anyone's guru. Like, I wasn't here to be anyone's teacher. Like, that's not me. Like, I'm just like you. Like, don't make it weird. Just, let's just love each other. Like, why does this have to be weird? Like, why do we have to have a hierarchy and, you know, project our power onto each other? Why can't we just recognize that we have all of this inside of ourselves? And so anyway, people would fall on the floor. They'd say, you're my guru. I'd say, get away from me. Like, don't use that word around me. And it was just weird. And uh, these experiences were happening more and more frequently. Why? Because again, I felt safe. I was being authentically who I was. I was being, living in alignment with my did, truth. Did and that all scare of these you things at some were just point? Effortless. Uh, you know, at first it was weird, but after a while, I just settled into it. And I think wow. what's happened for the majority of my life is that it's taken me all of this time to settle into who I already was. That's all it's been. It's taken me all of this time to settle into who I always was. Hold on. I hope everybody's listening to what he just said. You said something that's so important for so many people to hear. And I'm 40 this year, and that was a big number for me. Thank you, God, that you've allowed me to live and have breath. But for so many people that struggle with their age and not having certain accomplishments at a certain age, it took you 42 years it took you stepping into going through all that. And then like now you are comfortable in your own skin. You are comfortable with your purpose in the sense that you're clear and you're moving forward, but you are now 42 and not everybody understands that it is a transition. And every lesson brings you to that. Every moment takes you to that point. As you grow wiser and wiser, you live fully on your purpose and you, you pay it forward and you give more. So, I mean, what do you say to the people that are so worried that they, they feel like they haven't gotten there yet? Well, there's no there to get to. And I think that what we're doing is accumulating these golden breadcrumbs along the way that are reminders, right? So I had to go through so many different experiences in my life to be who I am right now. You know, Oprah and all of that happened when I was about 34, right? And so when you think about it, I was 34. All of my peers and colleagues were in their 60s at that point, 50s and 60s, right? I'm 42 now. Most of my peers and colleagues were in their 70s. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. He's in the 80s. Now, let me ask you, now that you mentioned about Oprah, which is another Mm -hmm. thing that so many people struggle with, you were on Oprah Super Soul Sunday. That must have been such an amazing moment and probably aha moment. Was it a moment where you were like, 
I don't know. I, 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 I don't know how to explain it. I could explain it this way. I've been in moments like when you and I first talked, I went through anxiety and I sent you a message and I'm like, Panache, I need help. Like I listened to you on, on Oprah Super Soul Sunday. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm on Face the Truth. I'm on this platform. I don't know how I got there. And I went through this whole, like I questioned everything that I was doing in that moment and who I was surrounded with. And like, how did I get here? It was just one of those moments. Like, okay, I've achieved like one of my dreams and one of my goals. It's on my vision board. I got, I got there. I get there. I look around and I panic. And then the negative inner voice starts talking to me. And it's like, I'm self jeopardizing as I'm on stage and what I'm supposed to be doing and and just in my mind thinking, comparing myself to everybody that's on there and how I felt that I was under qualified, how I felt like I didn't deserve to be there. Is there a moment that you experience that being at a level that you're like, oh my God, I'm with Oprah Winfrey. It's Super Soul Sunday. I'm here talking about my book. How, how did you feel about that? Well, for me, like I'm always around a lot of celebrities and a lot of people that have done very well for themselves. So for me, it's like, I always just see people as people. So uh-huh. I've never had that like in awe of anyone scenario going on. Like, I don't geek out in the presence of anyone. Because, because I realized that we're all just people, right? So even with her, it's beautiful because, because at that time, like I didn't have a book. So I was the only person on Super Soul Sunday that was on that show with nothing to sell. Like we're just legit having a great conversation as two people that love each other, have a mutual respect for each other. And so what I realized was that I'm not industry. <laughs> I realized that I'm not willing to play the game or, or you know, be somebody other than myself in order to get ahead or be successful. And what happens is, and it's, it's, it's unspoken, but what happens is, for example, I'm Indian. So even in Oprah's questions, one of the questions that she asked me, oh, so you're Deepak. And I'm like, no, I'm just Indian, right? People lack imagination. So because I'm in a spiritual capacity and I'm Indian, alter- immediately the market says, okay, great. He's the next Deepak. And if he's the next Deepak, then we know what his lifetime's earning potential is. We know how many books a year he can write. We, we can commoditize this, right? So this is what the industry does. This is what the market does. Right? How did so that what, make or, you feel? Well, for me, it was weird at first because, you know, everything that was happening at that time was, was, was about uh, taking this platform that I had created, which was being myself, and all of a sudden trying to make it into something other than being myself. And everyone had an opinion. Everyone had a voice. And I signed a huge book deal with Penguin Random House. It's like an NFL contract. It was crazy. With, they had so much money from Fifty Shades of Grey Rosie. I was the direct beneficiary of mummy porn that year. Let me tell you, they had so much money. <laughs> Did you just hold on? Did you just say that you yeah, yeah. mommy porn? Oh no, my I'm god! Telling you. I could not believe you just said that. So crazy. Okay. No, I'm telling you, but look at but look at the look at the timing, right? I yeah. go on Oprah, right? No book. Then hold all on. So, so so let me just get this clear because maybe I'm confused. Yeah. You were on Super Soul Sunday, but I weren't you talking about the Soul Signature? Yeah, but that was, I didn't have a book. That wasn't a book. That was, that was she chose. Because that was your book. No, the book came out afterwards. I was on that show and we were talking about change your energy, change your life. And I was talking yeah. about soul signature, soul signature right? Yeah. Everyone has their soul signature, but I, I hadn't written the book yet. So at the end oh of the- Oh my God. No, so this is how crazy it is. Gosh, I swear to God, I'm barely like now that we're like literally because I read your book because I, I went through it. I went through his whole yeah. signature. Like I went through, through the book and here you yeah. are talking to Oprah about this. And that's where I'm like, oh my, that's, that's so crazy. So then. Yeah. So we have the whole conversation. We finished the interview and then she looks at me. She goes, Panash Desai, trust me, write the book. And I'm like, okay. And then she winked at me. All right. Okay. Yo, I got it. So then, so then we, we pitched the book 
to seven different publishers, got the book deal with Penguin Random House, and then we started working on the book. The book came out in April of 2014, right? Yeah. So this is how cool this is. Okay. Oprah happens February of 2013. The book comes out April of 2014. My daughter, Celeste, is born on February 10th of 2015 with a congenital heart defect that she wasn't going to survive, right? Look at how amazing life is, right? So here I am at the pinnacle about to take off, just run the whole thing, right? The whole thing. And all of a sudden, life directs me and pivots me back toward myself through this crisis with my daughter, Celeste. And so for the first 18 months of her life, she was in the hospital, uh, had five open heart procedures, then subsequently had a heart transplant, right? And I went through all of that. So I went from being rocket shipped, right, into the forefront of everyone's collective awareness through Oprah, getting this huge book deal, realizing that everything wasn't everything that was cracked up to be because I just wasn't willing to play the game, to then having this experience with Celeste. And I'll tell you something. And I had dinner with a a couple uh, a few nights ago, and I said, you know, that experience with Celeste saved my life. Because you know what, Rosie? Wow. Because it pointed me back to myself, back to, back to what was important and back to what really mattered. And that was my family. That was my relationship with myself. And it wasn't about industry. It wasn't about being famous. It wasn't about books and money and book. It wasn't about any of that. It was about family and love and connection. And everything in my life went through a fundamental revision during that 18-month window. And everything that was inauthentic and out of alignment fell out of my life. And it's the best thing that ever happened. And then this now, me being who I am now, reaching 11,000 people every day could only have been possible because of my journey with my daughter, Celeste. She's five now. She had a heart transplant. She's good. She runs my house. She's the boss baby. I'm going to send her to come hang out with you, Aunt Rosie. Oh, my God. I would love my son to meet her. Yeah. So she's, she's a pistol. But this is how amazing life is. So don't worry. Like, If you're going through something, don't worry about it. Like if you're going through a hard time, don't worry about it. Don't get too happy about all these peak experiences and you won't get too down about all the other experiences. It's just one giant experience and it's about embracing the totality of all of it. uh, But I have to ask, like you said something, you weren't willing, first of all, you weren't willing to play the game. What does that mean? And then second of all is as a dad, how do you take, when someone tells you that your baby has a life expectancy of whatever it was and that that's it, like, how do you keep going? So the, in answer to the first question, you know, growing up where we grew up, Rosie, eventually someone compromises their integrity for a bag of money, right? Somebody yeah. ends up becoming somebody other than themselves in order to financially get ahead, right? Yeah. And you know what that's like in our, in our neighborhoods you don't do it you don't do it you don't compromise who you are for anything why because who you are is the most important thing of all so here we have this whole industry metrics blah 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 blah, right and everyone's trying to get me to be the next deepak i love deepak but i'm not the next deepak i'm the first you are the next panache you are the panache panache, right that's it so at that point like i love him like he's my brother but i'm not here to pick up that mantle and to run that race that's not why i'm here that's his purpose exactly so, so at that point, that's what I mean. You, you, for your path and for your journey, for who you are, you don't have to compromise yourself in any way. You can't miss what's meant for you. You will Amen only ever that. have what's meant for you come into your life. The, when you live with an absence of need and you understand who you are and who put you here, you'll never compromise who you are for anything. So that's the first thing. Second thing, Celeste. Now, it's the same principle. 
we met uh, with the doctor about three months, three to, three to five months before she was born, right? Because you have the ultrasounds, you have the series of ultrasounds. And because it was a high-risk pregnancy, she's a twin brother, Leonardo. I wanted to call him Merlin, but my wife wouldn't let me. Uh, we, we had this uh, ultrasound, right? And in that ultrasound, you know, it's, it's, it's the conversation that you never want to have. All of a sudden you're in an office, they're telling you, you know, hey, guess what? She might not make it. You know, if she makes it, then she's going to need immediate palliative care or open heart procedure. Don't expect her to have any quality of life. And it's like your whole world is just like. It comes scrambling down like, in that second. It hurts. On? Exactly. But, but I said to Jan, I said, listen, you know what? I'm willing to bet on this soul. And I said, you know what? Whatever it is, I'll accept it. Whatever it is, whatever it is, whatever it is that we have to go through as it relates to her, I'm willing to go through it. I am not going to give up on her. I am not going to give up on this kid. I'm not going to do it. Whatever it is, right? Because, because the main thing with, with um, heart issues is a lack of oxygenation. So we could have ended up with uh, brain damage. We could have ended up with major developmental delays and disorder. I mean, we could have ended up with any number of scenarios, right? The worst of all being that she didn't make it, right? Yeah. But you know what? I wasn't willing to give up on her. And I just said to Jan, I said, listen, We've got the means, thank God, like whatever this is, like I know the best people in the world for health and for wellness, whatever it is, we've got it. And we went on this journey with her, right? And I have to tell you that as a father, the powerlessness that you feel as a father, right? I'm Panache Desai, I can solve anything, right? I can start businesses for people, I can solve businesses for people, I can help people get through the most complicated issues in their lives right? Get them out of every scenario or get them into their heart's deepest desire. Like, this is what I do all day long. But as it related to my own child, nothing. Rosie, I got to a point during that journey where I literally had to leave the hospital room that she was in and go down to the chapel. I go down to the chapel and I'm just suffering and suffering and suffering because I had an attachment to her surviving, right? I had an attachment to her being here. I fell to my knees and I just put my hands up in the air and I just said, listen, I get it. Like I'm willing to sure. accept whatever you want for this kid. Like she's yours, like whatever, like if she's not going to make it, I'm willing to accept that. If she's going to make it, I'll accept it. Whatever it is, like I can't, like the pain and just everything I'm feeling right now, like I can't do it. Like I just, you, she's yours, like whatever it is. And in that moment, in that moment, when I let her go, when I could finally let her go, I got it. I got the whole thing. None of it's up to us. Everything is in God's hands every single thing and why we are suffering today and why we're struggling is because we've forgotten that truth right and so the gift that i received in that moment okay of not just ending my own personal suffering but realizing that she was on her own perfect journey that she had her own destiny and that my role is just to show up and love her in the best way that i can every day and be there for jan be there for my kids right and so in the moment when i was able to surrender my own child and the outcome related to my child's life, I got my whole life back, everything. I got my whole life back. It's like I walked through this door and I was free. I was free, completely free because I got it. I got it. We're fixated on things that don't matter. I've met some of the most successful people in the world. They're miserable. And who they have to be in order to be there is horrible. It's not for you. What's yeah. meant for you will find you. There's a plan for you. There's, there's a greater purpose for you. There's a greater path that you're on. And as long as you're willing to just keep surrendering every single step of the way, you'll find you have the support and the blessings and the peace that you need to make it through whatever you're going through. And I can say that to you 
because we've gone through it as a family. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God, Panash, that, that what do you say? See, you see right now that you you talk about this moment of surrender, this moment where you just it, it just clicks. It's like there's nothing you can do. It's not your choice. You have to you have to get on your knees. You surrender to whatever the will is. And it reminds me to this time where my sister, um, I, I, I remember this so clearly. And I think that's why I got so emotional with that. It's like she's sitting there in front of her son and, and she surrenders. And in her case, you know, my nephew passed away. But she like literally just, you see her, she, she couldn't, like she couldn't bear with it anymore. And she surrenders and she says, Whatever it is, I will accept and understand that is this is this is what you want. I surrender and I just want his peace. That's what I want. And in those instants, a day later, he passed away. What do you tell people when they go through such a huge loss, such a painful loss like that? And they've well, surrendered. I mean, the only thing I can say to you is like, I just love you so much because, you know, during one of Celeste's surgeries, like she flatlined for eight minutes literally like eight minutes this kid's like eight minutes she oh. was gone right they were just about to put her on life support which is ecmo she's like this external kind of breathing apparatus about to make the incision to this day she still has a scar and she came back right when they made the incision okay so i don't know what it's like to lose a child but i know what it's like to have almost lost a child five times because every time she would go to the hospital I had no guarantee that she was going to come home. So for me, that's something that I've had to revisit over and over and over again. And that's something that I've had to get beyond because even to this day, like when she goes to the hospital, I'm like, is she coming home? Like, is she going to be okay? You know, what's going to happen? And the blessing is it's gotten easier as she's gotten stronger and healthier. It's gotten easier. But you know what? I haven't lost a child. But you know what? And almost having lost a child five times, I can't even imagine what you're feeling right now. Mm. But all I can say to you is this, that every single thing that's happening, no matter what it is, no matter, no matter how we perceive it, no matter how we experience it, is leading us toward more love. It's leading us towards something greater. Okay? And more compassion. There is nothing, exactly. And there is nothing that I can think of that's more painful than outliving your child. Oh. And living with the memory of losing, especially a kid, and if like any age, like that's rough, you know. That's, I don't know how my sister did it. Yeah, I, I don't know how anybody does it's it. I, I honestly, it's literally the surrender. It's the surrender. It's being willing to say, you know what? Okay, I get it. Like, I get it. Like, whatever it is, I get it. And when we can live our lives that way, all of a sudden we realize that we're enough. See, I realize that a lot of my life because I grew up in East London, it was all. You know, it was about surviving and it was about making it and about proving something. About it. And it was about really just everyone was afraid. Like we grew up in an environment where you walk out your house, everyone's afraid. But no yeah. one's courageous enough and vulnerable enough to say we're afraid. Instead of saying that, everyone's being violent and doing things and making choices that aren't loving and, you know, basically hurting the community because, because they need to survive. So in that lack of safety, everyone puts their self-interest first. But everyone's pretending everyone's scared so at some point what we have to do is realize that you know what i'm not here to live up to my parents ideals i'm not here to live up to my grandfather's ideals i'm not here to live up to the industry i'm here to be who i was made to be and everyone's just gonna have to live with that 
And, and in that moment, I realized that, wow, you know what? I'm enough. That's it. I get it. I get it. I've been saved. I get it. I've been saved. I've been saved, saved. from the illusion. Saved from the illusion. That's it. I'm saved. That's it. Thank you. Yeah. Nash, we're going to do this one thing that I love to do, call Rosie's Takeaways, where we talk about lessons we've learned and a moment of adversity that pushed us forward. Can you tell us one moment of adversity? You've had so many and we've talked about them, but just a moment of adversity that really just pushed you forward. I think the real moment of adversity was when I was in university. And this isn't really adversity, but this is more of choices that we make in life. And uh, I wanted to study philosophy. Makes perfect sense now. Someone's going to give me a degree at some point, I'm sure. Big shout out to all the universities out there. Uh, <laughs> so, call you know, call it into existence. Speak exactly. life into it. I wanted to study philosophy. My grandfather, being Indian at that point, like if you weren't an engineer or a doctor or a lawyer, you were basically a failure. And uh, and so here I am one day for us. My grandfather sat down and said, oh, why don't you study business studies? And in that moment, like a dream of mine that I had just was gone. Like it was gone. Like here I am again trying to gain the approval and acceptance of my grandfather instead of doing what I want to do in my heart, which was a part of my greater destiny, which was a part of my greater plan, right? And so not necessarily adversity, but what it does is it creates pain inside of you because you're not being true to yourself, you know? And you can, you can apply that to any scenario in your life because anywhere where you're not being true to yourself creates pain inside of you. And that's the source of suffering. Inauthenticity is the root cause of all suffering when we're not being, not being ourselves, it's a root cause of suffering. So for me, that moment was a pivotal moment because also it was that moment and the misery that I was experiencing in doing that law and business studies degree and in being in that music life that eventually got me to get back to my essential nature. Right? It led to that conversation with my mom because had I maybe been studying philosophy and doing what I love doing, then maybe I wouldn't have left London. Then you and I wouldn't have met. Then you know none of this would have happened, right? Like this wouldn't be happening right now. So it's amazing how life unfolds to guide us to where we're meant to be. Yeah. And it's it's a great thing to be able to look back at all those moments of adversity, those moments as as moments of growth and redirection into becoming our finding our essence and finding who we we are. So with that said, thank you so much wisdom for sharing these moments. It's been um, incredible journey to see you and then everything that you've taught me along the way you've been an amazing teacher and I just want to thank you for that where can people find more inspiration and find you uh, just head over to the website uh, panashedesai.com p-a-n-a-c to the h to the e I haven't there lost we- it hey e-e-s-a-i dot com and uh, all the information's there come join me come meditate with me we'll have fun Oh my God. With that, I want to invite you guys to meditate. Make sure to follow Panache Desai. I'm Rosa Mercado. This is the podcast, The Girl with Self-Esteem Issues. And that's a wrap. You have full ownership over your feelings. When we base our feelings on other people's opinions, we are allowing them to control our lives and everything that we decide to do. We're basically allowing them to make our decisions and dictate our life. So when they pull the strings, just like a puppet master, we either feel really good, really bad, or we end up doing whatever we need to do to please them. We end up sacrificing our wants, our needs, and even our happiness. When we give ownership of our feelings over to others, we give up control over our own emotions. Living your life according to what others 
others think of you is a recipe to be unhappy and is completely exhausting. Be clear about what's important to you, not other people. And focus on who you want to be, not what others want you to be. Overcoming your fear of what people think of you is certainly not going to happen overnight. It takes time, so be patient. It takes a lot of practice and a whole lot of self-forgiveness. We all get caught up in our fear from time to time, and it gets really ugly sometimes. So learn to forgive yourself in that moment. And then choose something new. Choose a new way of being. Choose a new thought. Shifting your mindset in this way will give you the motivation that you need to move forward. Remember, when at first you don't succeed, try, try, try again. And sometimes remember that you're going to fall back on old habits, but the important thing is to remind yourself the best is yet to come. Be fearless and don't give a shit about other people's opinions about you. That's none of your business. I'm always here to help, always here to grow with you. Thank you for listening to The Girl with Self-Esteem Issues. If you want to hear more about my journey, be sure to check out my memoir, The Girl with Self-Esteem Issues, available both in English and Spanish through HarperCollins and HarperOne. You can find the link to purchase in the show description wherever you're listening to this podcast. Thank you for listening to The Girl with Self-Esteem Issues, a Himalaya learning podcast. To access my Own Your Shit handbook filled with key insights and exercises and to join a community where you can chat directly with me, go to Himalaya.com forward slash Rosie, enter promo code Rosie at checkout and receive 14 days absolutely free. I hope to see you there.